happier place to be. I won't cry Maple syrup is the best. It's so yeah. good. Just be present with me and love me. I won't cry Wow. 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 And then Hitler also said in all of his speeches, and these were called the prophecy speeches, he said, we're going to hold on to these people. We're not going to do anything to them unless you try to stop us from getting what is rightfully ours, which was. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Another little extra episode coming at you guys. The mighty Thaddeus Russell returns. Fights with Michael a little bit. It's kind of funny. You guys got a kick out of that. Oh, right. Yeah, he wasn't that. having any of Michael's shit. <laughs> Michael took it well, though. He He's like, well, no, you're yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bump in before yep, I mentioned it. It was a fun but... chat. Great chat. Michael joins us for this one. And uh, of course, Thad comes back and chats about what he thinks about lockdown and stuff like that. And we got Graham Six Flags Dunlop with his hat on. Where the fuck did you get a Six Flags hat? What do you mean? That's the amusement six. park. When was the last time you went to an amusement park? Like 12, 15 years ago, maybe. You've had that hat since then? Yeah. I it looks don't like wear your, hats. looks like your head's gotten bigger since you got that hat. Probably has, the hat's gotten smaller. Every part of Graham's gotten bigger, except for one. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Graham's at his record weight right now. Are you? <laughs> I don't know. 214? No, I'm probably not, because I didn't weigh myself I noticed the you, last week. I noticed that. you finally canceled the subscription to your own podcast. I today. did. <laughs> That was a tester like seven years ago. What? I think you set that up as a tester like five. No, 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 no. It was only a couple years ago. It hasn't been very long. Yeah, It's been a while. (laughs) Well, thanks, buddy. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, it's going pretty good. Yeah. I'm going to get myself whipped back into shape, I think. I've been inspired from the last couple episodes that we recorded that people haven't heard yet. But yeah, it's time to get, get my shit together again. I could be exercising more, I suppose. That's one thing. But I do get out a lot. So I just think I'm going to, like, draw the line there. When I get more time to exercise, I'll try and do that. But I just... Yeah, Yeah. it's hard because our hobbies are are becoming desk hobbies. So that makes it even harder. Well, I mean, I don't know. Even, like, the podcast, for example, or reading books and stuff. Like, just stuff that I'm into. I get out a lot, though. I mean, I got my yard to deal with. is not active. Don't you have a yard to deal with now? That must help. You don't deal with the backyard at all? Do you have a tenant down there now? Yep. Oh, so it's not yours at all. Yeah. So you don't have nothing to worry about. I got a yard to deal with. I got chickens to deal with. I got kids hunting, fishing, a lot of fishing right That's now. That's great. That's great. That's good. A lot of outdoor stuff. I, fi- I figure like if you're outside, I'll count it as exercise. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's a little different. Can we do that? Sure. If you're outside, it sure. counts as some sort of exercise. Sure. You're walking. I mean, I do drive like just up to like probably a couple hundred feet away from where I fish. But when you're hunting, you're spending a lot of time walking around. Yeah. A lot more time walking Definitely. around. I caught a bunch of fish last night. Yeah. What were the those? Pickerel, walleye. Walleye? Yeah. yeah. Is that the same as a pickerel? Yeah. Really? It's two different names for the same fish. Huh. Actually, the pickerel might be the family. I don't know. We call them walleyes. I've heard other people call them pickerels. They're delicious. Yeah. Good. Where'd you, where'd you get that? 
We went out to Barkin House Lake or whatever it is out by Crawling Valley. Like an hour and 25 last minutes. Last night, really? Yeah, we went out late last night. Wow. Yeah, you know, the kids were at a sleepover for a birthday party, so we headed east, yeah, went nice. out there. Yeah, good. Kind of brought the rifle, KCC, see some deer out there, but mostly to go fishing. Had a fish cop try and tell me I couldn't keep fish. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a fish cop out there? Yeah, he showed up. No right way. When we were about to start fishing. Really? And he's like, oh, I... And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to keep some. And he's like, oh, no, you can't. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a status Indian. I can, I can keep them. He's like, oh, no, you can't. What? Like, really? And I was like, okay, well. So are they out there just because, oh, I don't want to get into They're out that, there all the time. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a popular spot. Right. Um, I mean, there's poaching problems. I get it. They got a job to do. It's fine. Uh, so anyway, tried to say, no, you can't. You can go over to the river down there and, and keep some there, but you can't keep any here because of blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, I think you're wrong. So what do we do now? <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm not trying to infringe on your rights here or anything like that. So I'll make some calls. And I was like, okay, well, I'll wait. So then he like, this is for off. one fish. No, I hadn't even started fishing yet, but I was planning on keeping a bunch of fish. Right. Right. And uh, I think he knew I had kept fish last weekend because <laughs> someone called me in. What? <laughs> yeah. Someone must've called what? me in. And there was just one guy there fishing when I was there too. So if I see him again, I'm going to be like, way to go, buddy. I mean, I guess if, if he thought he was a reporting a poacher, good. But at the time, I told I that dude I, mean, I was an it? Indian. I told him I was an Indian, and he still called me in. So whatever. Is that what, is it really mm -hmm. that, like? Because there was only one other guy there. Anyway. I mean, if you were taking, like, I don't know, a whole gang, you had taken 20 fish, maybe. But if it's just one guy taking one fish, what the fuck? Well, I mean, you don't want it people poaching. Because, I mean, it's a slippery slope. I mean, they had troubles before with people, like, emptying out the lakes they stalk around the city. You come up around four in the morning and a bunch of people have jumped the fence and they're just filling up coolers with yeah, fish. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, shooting deer in the middle of the night. Yeah. I just don't like the tattling part. But yeah, I guess, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, the tattling part's going to work. So anyway, a little sensitive he tells right me, now. no, I can't. And I'm like, well, yeah, yes, I can. And he's like, I'll make some calls. Then he comes back and he's like, all right, you can. And then uh, and it was kind of awkward. Then he just kind of rambled on for a while. And I was just like, I wish you would just leave now. You know, we've kind of done our dance. What was he rambling on about? Oh, about fishing and jig heads and down by the river. and What? Why he thought I couldn't fish in this lake. And it seemed like at that point he was trying to make sure he hadn't offended me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, bro. <laughs> And I'm super baked. <laughs> and I'm just like, bro, I just want to go fishing. Just like, you go on your way, I'll go on my way. So fi finally he left, and I finally got fishing like 7.30. Quarter to 8, maybe. How long did it take you to catch one? I didn't you catch one for one? probably the first hour. Wow. You just caught one? Yeah. I caught five. Wow, really? I caught five, Kyle caught three. Wow, fuck, that's yeah. cool. Huh. Yeah, nice size ones, too. Yeah. You know, the first one I caught, I just snagged on an old line. And I reel it in, and I've caught this line. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? And I start pulling on this line. There's a fish on the end of it. <laughs> Can you wow. believe it? Pull it in with my hands. Then they started. Well, how hitting. long has the fish been on that old line for? I don't know. It's still healthy swimming around. <laughs> Could have been on there for a while. It's just had a leash for the last little <laughs> yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. we got. I got five. Took him home. Kyle has to put his back. Yeah. I get to keep mine. Wow. Came yeah. home. Got a couple. Is there a fishing. max for you to keep, or you can just? No, but I mean. I don't want to clean. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
it's not just catch them when you get home. You got to clean these fucking things, which is yeah. a bit of a process. Yeah. I mean, it's worth it, but you don't want to deal with a bunch at a time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember back home when there'd be like 10 of us out camping and the limit back then was six. So like you'd go out fishing for the day in a couple of boats and you come back and you've got 50 or 60 fucking fish to clean. Yeah. And now it's like getting dark and everyone's kind of buzzed out yeah. and fingers are getting cut but so I mean I don't want to clean more than five or six probably that's like and that's good that's like 10 12 meals or uh well we caught we had a good feed last night off to five which would have been a good meal for sure and then four packets so that's five meals probably five meals worth of fish a meal of fish they're good size I mean usually back home you catch them they're a little smaller yeah um but those smaller ones taste better but back home it's about two two meal two fish a meal Cool. Here it's about a fishing meal. So I can go it again tomorrow, I think. Me and Natasha are going to go out. She hasn't cool. caught one yet. She's eager to try and catch one. So right I on. take her out, have dinner out there. They'll only bite for about another month or until it gets hot. As soon as it starts getting hot out, they're going to head away from the shore to the deeper water. That'll be it. So by then I'd like to have enough to get me through the summer. Anyway. Nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll come out one day. Hey, you a fisher? I think it's 28 bucks for the license. Oh, fuck it. What? I don't want to go buy a license and shit. You just go to the fast gas. Here. Yeah, I know. I don't know. That's a, I'm not into that. You're much. not into buying. Can I just list. come and watch? Or? you can come and watch. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do that. Let him come hunting too. Teach yeah. you how to gut a deer. Yeah. No. No, I'm not into it. We'll start with fish. I mean, that could be your thing. You can contribute to the commune after the world fall apart. We'll send you out fishing. <laughs> You'd just be listening to an audio book or a podcast. Cast. It really is the most peaceful thing in the world. You can do it. It's fun to do with other people. Or, I mean, my plan last night, I was just going to go out by myself. And because it's about an hour and a half drive there, hour and a half drive back. And then you fish for two or three hours. I mean, that's six hours. Yeah. You can like get through a good chunk of audio. Yeah. But I'd, I think if I was out there fishing, I want to just be quiet and enjoy the nature. Yeah. There's a lot of chirping. Birds chirping yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. There's a little baby bunny came down and drank out of the water there. Yeah, cool. Scurried back up. What'd you do? Dungeons and Dragons? Are you guys when? back in person Dungeons and no, Dragons? No, 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 not yet. No. No? No. Nope. That's too bad. Yep. Might be a while. Think so? Yeah. You guys do seem like a skittish bunch. No, like, not, not, not me at all. I feel like the Dungeons and Dragons no. crowd's most likely to be scared of COVID. <laughs> Or wearing masks or whatever. Let's I mean, not go there. That might Let's be my I'll talk to you offline about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's take that offline. Sidebar. <laughs> my, 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 look, my I forgot my laptop uh, cord, so my battery is really low. Okay, so what do you want? What jingle just, do you just, want? Just I want to, uh, like, I'm literally low. Like, I might not even get through this email. Just an email thing. Email. Feedback? Yeah. For American Goodies? And then I might have to, I mean, I might have to just jump to some quotes and stuff like that. I'm going to have to skip the operation project. Ah, oh, no, that seems, yeah. people seem to be loving I know, operation well, project. next time, sorry guys. You know what, I should start hating when people support the show and all of a sudden this will be our, exactly. our, our seminal moment where we turn the corner. There you go. You know what, don't support the show. I, I just, <laughs> it's the worst part is when people support. This is from Kenny. It's an email about the Charlie Robinson podcast we just put out. Mm. Soon I'll be quoting from his book. 
in the other segment, once I can get my laptop uh, shut down here, he says, I'm listening to your Charlie interview and, and it's mentioned that it appears that these operatives are getting sloppy implementing their nefarious activities. After listening to a great many interviews and having done a lot of reading on these incidents over the last six years or so, I've come to the conclusion that many of these sloppy actions are intentional, like the BBC reporting WTC7's collapse before it happened. These things are intentional to illustrate how dumb, brainwashed, conditioned, and easily fooled most of the population really is. An interview several years ago with Oli Damagard told the story of a gathering of elites overlooking one of the crisis situations in London and that there was cheering and gleeful joy at the disaster that was being brought down on the peasantry. I tell people that they are in a class war and that they have no clue, but to be honest, most are incapable of being woke. Perhaps they're NPCs in this simulation. P.S. I recall watching the 9-11 event and watching the collapse of WTC7 and immediately thinking that was a controlled demolition. WTC7 <laughs> won't go away. But I then I was swept up in all the BS and it took me a long time before I woke. It's not an easy journey. Thanks for the excellent show, Kenny D. Thanks, Kenny. Yeah. I just seen an article came out the other day on, on WTC7. Was Charlie the last episode? Yes, it was. I got to give Charlie a pat on the back. Oh. 18 reviews. Wow. What? Since the Charlie Robinson episode came out. What do you mean? We got 18 new reviews. Oh, wow. And I think, remember, Charlie had a little spiel in there where yes, it's like, go did. review the fucking show, you fox, yes, or something did, like yes. that. So, I mean, people listen. So thanks, Charlie. Now you guys should go review the show too. I mean, I think we're closing in on a thousand. We must be within, I think we're within 50 now. I'd have to actually check. I'm not going to check now, but we're yeah. getting there. We are getting there. Well, speaking of 9-11 and all, and I wanted to talk about this in Thaddeus's, in this interview with Thaddeus, because I went through a phase in Vancouver after 9-11 where I saw the thing as something there was something wrong with it pretty early on and it was because of the nationalism uh, result uh the uh, reaction you know the whole iraq war and all and i was like what the fuck is going on down there in the states like how are they allowing all this to happen it was all based on like nationalism and go what bang was... the terrorists and all that you know and i'm like what the fuck and that that's when i kind of was like more of a globalist i was more of a socialist because at that point in the early 2000s like there wasn't even before the crash of 2008 there wasn't a lot of jobs for people, really. Like, the economy wasn't really doing very well. It was tough to make it by, in a way. Like, even though there was the boom a little bit and there was a bubble. and But I kind of understood back then more of uh, the global situation and, the, and the, the disgust for nationalism. But now that's completely, in a way, it's kind of shifted because now it's more about freedom and control. Like, now seeing the globalists actually you know, trying to control everything and you're like, holy fuck, I just want to be free in my little area Everything is switched around. Like back then it was the fucking, I think it was more of the, the liberal crowd that was like, this is a conspiracy. Hmm. And now it's fucking switched. It's flipped around on its, on its end. If you long game it now, the 9-11 kind of starts to look like the Reichstag. Explain. Well, that's like when they burned, that was the building that they burned to push the Nazis into power in Germany. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean... 
You know, like looking back through what's going on now over the last 25 years. Yeah, but no, 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 but still the opposite of that now, because now it's a fight against, it seems, um, you know, it's a fight against global control. I mean, especially with this pandemic now. I mean, we're literally up against the wall here with complete fucking control and tracking. And at the same time, every government in the world is implementing, controlling and tracking and, you know, because it's, did really... From my perspective, it's really just looking like more um, theater, you know, manufactured fucking argument to make me think that everyone's fighting. Well, really, in the back room, they're like, okay, well, it's a class war. We're going to say this and you're going to say that, but in the middle, we're going to meet on this and we'll get our tracking and we'll vaccinate most of these bastards and, you know, that'll be that. Well, and if we don't vaccinate, we know who's not being yeah, vaccinated. Yeah, we'll kick the ball further who's... down the field and, you know, but in the meantime, I'm going to go out and you're going to call me a retard for taking hydrochloroquine and, yeah, you know, we'll get these bastards. Yeah, we're getting closer. But maybe not. I mean, maybe not. But, I mean, if you would have told me in 2016 when I was thinking that Trump was going to change the world that... We'd all be fucking locked in our houses in three years. I would have said, you'd, you know, I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if it was Hillary, we'd probably be, who knows? Because I really do feel like the U.S. sort of leads the way for the West and that sort of thing. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe not. Or maybe if Hillary was in charge, the U.S. would have got to lead the way and they would have got a decision in the matter. But because it's Trump and he's not taken seriously on the global stage, it just doesn't matter. That the, or he's actually being taken more or he seriously. Is ta- yeah, like, yeah, it's like, tough it's, to say. It's messier than ever. Murkier than ever. So I got this. I wanted to read this text. It kind of has to do with this, too. It's from... Uh, Novak tap and slap on uh, Instagram. And he's like, he sent me this twilight zone episode from Alex Jones. <laughs> and, uh, it's just, he's like, it's a lot of text, man. But basically this is for all the marbles, a soul test to see what humanity will do when cornered AI. And this tech has been around forever, but now it's being ruled out. And now it is, has this dark energy attached to it. Everyone whom encourages this rollout has already sold themselves. It's an epic time to be alive, man. And then he says, it's crazy. They really do follow the Illuminati card game. Just like 9-11, every one of these events must happen on a ritualistic date for magic purposes. We're not only up against the world elite, we also have to resist witchcraft and or spiritual force that these dickheads have hijacked for these own, their own selfish dick reasons. It doesn't look good, man, but also making, it's also making everyone wake up in mass. Like I said, it's seriously epic right now if you can understand what's happening. It's so massive that one begins to wonder if this life world is really a game matrix where we're all, our collective thoughts are actually connected to an ether and the brotherhood is a group of elite assholes trying to control the rules of this place. But he said, uh, just ranting out loud, but he, he was, where did he say that? um, Oh, here it is. He says, this 100% planned, and it's completely up to the general public as to how bad it becomes. That's, what, that's what's interesting, right? It's up to the general public. But the public are very predictable, which is worrying due to this totally. event, seeming more and more like a scientific dictatorship that Aldous Huxley wrote about. 
and wanted to achieve for the technocrats of our time to rule over. Techno technocracy news is a good recourse. Patrick Wood saw this coming decades ago, but even he doesn't go deep enough to realize there's a secret brotherhood evil force driving this agenda. It's pretty serious, man. Crazy time to be alive. Totally. <laughs> Totes. Totes, my goats. I got, uh, let's see, we got a donation last night with a note that oh. I'll go to. We don't get a lot of notes on the, on the one-time donations, so... It was from uh, Bob K. I had a dream that I was hanging with you guys last night in your studio after that great Charlie Robinson, Robinson show <laughs> and halfway through Monica Perez. We were getting high, which I don't do anymore. Neither do you guys. Ha ha. Well, I, I do sometimes. Um, Darren was, I was asking Darren about his Indian heritage because I'm a member of the Wanabi tribe. But he brushed me off anyway. I would like to be here about it. By the way, I can't get a single friend or family member to dig into the Dell Bigtree or Bobby Kennedy stuff about looming medical martial law, which as long which as a longtime anti-vaxxer, vaccine safety activist, I mean, <laughs> leaves me in real despair. Have some good buddies that are already hip. Some of you may have heard of heavyweights, but everyone else is in a very frightening, bizarre trance. That's why I need you guys. Rock on, be well, stay strong. End the lockdown. Peace. Bob. P.S. Maybe look up JC on a bike. He's doing great stuff on the virus in a unique way. Thanks, Bob. You guys, if you want to support the show too, maybe I'll read your uh, little note if you want to write a little note in there. But if not, you can just support the show. It does help us keep going, helps us keep the bills paid in these trying times. We have had, you know, a lapse in support as people become unemployed at a record pace. It is uh, hitting the show on our very limited bottom line. And uh, if you guys want to help pick up some of that slack, america.ca slash support. Of course, we love you for it, and we do not fault anyone who has to suspend their subscription uh, until they can get a job again. That's, yeah, we that's, can also give you access to the Black Budget, right? Yeah, just actually, email. Black Budget's free. Let us yeah. know. I think there's like 10 hours of secret teachings in there already. There's a bunch of stuff going on. I want to mention- There's a bunch of audio books in there. If you are listening to those audio books that are in there, especially the ones that I'm releasing as I'm editing, and you find any mistakes or any gaps or if anything I might have missed in the editing process, just make sure you let me know. Oh, that's a good idea. And then yeah. because all, because- you know, I, I'm, I'm. It's usually well before I'm releasing it, so I would have time to fix it before I released it as a book. Would be great. So, like we said, not including it, mispronunciations. Yeah, I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> I might lots of those. I might release the Graham ASMR mix one day. We'll see. We got a lot of Graham mouth noises in between his break when he has to clear his throat and and all that. But. Hopefully, he's not fucking saving those all up somewhere. Saving those all up for a crazy rap. Thanks, mix. buddy. Yeah. You can trust me with those. But anyways, the Black Budget's got some extra. There's some old interviews There's in there. We should probably do some it. fresh stuff for that too, maybe. We should. Yeah. But like actual chats instead, yeah, of, just, yeah. instead of just recordings and all that. But, yeah, we uh, should get some content but going. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were selling, sell, selling that, kind of like publishing that for uh, any donation at all. But I mean, if you can't afford it, that's fine too. Just email us and we'll give you access. But totally. We're trying to increase donations by doing an extra feed like that and not making it a paywall. Yeah, Still value right. for value. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And if you can't afford to support the show, head over to grindamerica.ca slash support today. Uh, sign up for a monthly, do a one-time donation. Um, check out the stuff in the show notes. You know, there's a few different ways to help out the show. 
it does help. It helps us grow. We've got, you know, different plans we want to do. We'd like to grow. We've got some ideas we'd like to expand on down the road. You know, it all it all banks on on what, where the level of support or where the value is in the podcast, where the audience puts the value at in the show. Uh, yeah, give us feedback either way. I yeah. mean, if email us for stuff, say, you know, we're you not doing. If you don't want to support us, yeah. just say why. Yeah. yeah America.ca slash support. I'll leave it at that. Are you going to go to go to a quote now? I am going to go to a quote from the Octopus of Global Control from Charlie Robinson. Very fitting. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the so this is uh, from the depopulation agenda chapter, the creepy agenda, the creepy chapter. Bernice. <laughs> no. <laughs> the major world powers, new and old, also face a novel reality. Novel coronavirus? Yeah. While the lethality of their military might is greater than ever. Their capacity to impose control over the politically awakened masses of the world is at a historic low. To put it bluntly, in earlier times, it was easier to control one million people than to physically kill one million people. Today, it is infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. I'm going to go with, I don't know. I'll give you a hint. Okay. His daughter's been in the news lately. Uh, is it Mika's dad? Yeah. <laughs> Romovich? No, what's her last name? Zignuv Brzezinski. Brzezinski. Zignuv. Zignuv. Co-founder, wow, she was, co-founder of the Trilateral Commission. She did not like her husband getting accused of murder. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of that before. Does seem kind of suspicious. Yeah. I mean, like super suspicious. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie, for that book. Thank you, Charlie, for the book. We love you for it. It's one of our favorites. One of our favorites. I already begged for money. What else we got? Is that it? Yeah, that's about it, buddy. Wrap this shit up. Enjoy the chat. Still got a few extra episodes coming out. We do. Oh, and we'll then we'll probably do, do two or three extra a month, it seems like. But yeah. I don't know. We'll probably have to slow down at some point here. Gonna have to. Let's see. Ah, we'll see. I think we'll be all right. We'll just keep plowing through. Plowing through and plowing through. So uh, is that back catalog, Black Budget. Right now, doing chat. One and only Thaddeus Russell.
All right, we've got Thaddeus Russell back in Gray America. He's the founder of Renegade University. He's an author of A Renegade History of the United States, host of the Unregistered Podcast, and he's also been a professor of history, American studies, and philosophy. Looking forward to a great chat. Thanks for coming back, Thaddeus. Guys, it was a pleasure last time. It'll be fun this time, too, I'm sure. Yeah, right on. Yeah, people, our listeners loved the show last time. It's a little... A lot of your content is over my head. I was asking for Darren. Like, <laughs> I was like, Darren, put your philosophical hat on today. Sure. I need your I need your help. Um, but I mean, we want to give you a platform. Darren was like, look, Thaddeus is on fire. And like really, we just want to give you a platform as well to just talk about this is important times and we we struggle with staying, you know, trying to trying to do we stay on topic with everything that's going on and we try and do timely episodes, but uh, there's a lot to talk about, and we should. I think we should address it and, and talk about how crazy things are getting. So, well, yeah, it's good timing because I just noticed. I mean, this is a real test to me. Like when something like this comes out, where they really like are shaming people, where it's mm-hmm. a real public shaming to push against the narrative. People that are you know standing up on their soapbox and screaming into the wind. Um, you know, I I feel like it's important, and I'm I'm especially impressed because I don't think you even give a shit if Corona is real or not. It's just a matter of the civil liberties shouldn't shouldn't it shouldn't matter. It's a hard one, you know. I mean, I'm I mean, some of it's not hard for me. Like clearly, a whole lot of people, both in power and not, um, are showing their inner authoritarianism, right? In times like this, it, you find out who the authoritarians are. Like <laughs> after the revolution, you know who's going to be manning the guillotines, basically. Um, for, and that ranges, I mean, honestly, from like, you know, certain Trader Joe's workers who like yell, like to yell at us in the line to all the way up to, as we well know, like lots and lots of politicians who seem to really, I mean, they don't want their economy shut down, by the way. You know, we shouldn't be confused about that it's not like it's in their interest to destroy the economy but and i you know i'm not exactly sure what's in what's driving it's mostly progressives of course and liberals who are doing this but like what exactly is the motivation um other than just like this reflexive need for social control right and i think that's kind of what shows up here um people certain people and I can't explain why they have this, but certain people just want to control other people, right? I mean, and some people, most of us fortunately don't. But in a time like this, we really find out who the inner, who the authoritarians really are, like who has that, that impulse inside of them. And um, it is clearly much more on the left, although not, not exclusively at all, but it is much more on the left. And I would say, especially kind of the liberal left, the radical left is always more, more skeptical about stuff, which is good but kind of the mainstream liberal left, my goodness, they, um, they were very eager to dismiss any possibility since the beginning, any possibility that there is a drug that can cure this, right? They just wanted, they jumped on it immediately. You know, uh, that can't be right. Uh, they dismissed the possibility that we could reopen in a reasonable time immediately without the science even being clear about it. Um, I mean, the science still isn't clear about anything. That's right? what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. The science, I mean, it's just not clear on anything and say otherwise is just, you're lying. And so the, the, you know, all this, all the governors and mayors and senators are all, have always been taking the most pessimistic line possible. 
right? With few, with a few exceptions, you know, with a handful of Republicans, with a hand, few, handful of Trumpists. And by the way, like, you know, I, I am very sympathetic to the people who are protesting uh, over the last week or so across the United States. Um, I think we should reopen pretty much right away. Actually, might be wrong about that, but I mean, there is. There, I think there's another problem on the other side, which is the stupid tribalism, right? Which is both on both sides or on all sides. So, I mean, I think it's authoritarian verging on fascism um, to sort of demand that we all lock down and that we will, you know, maybe never be able to come back from this and we should all stay inside and we should shame our neighbors and snitch on our neighbors. Um, but it's also stupid and it's not a good idea to just like to follow the line of your guy in office, you know, the Trump people, because just because he's saying something, it's right. And on the other side, you know, people who hate him are saying, well, it's, if he says something, it has to be wrong. So there's been a, just a bunch of, it's also revealed not just authoritarianism in people, it's revealed stupid, stupid tribalism, you know, dumb partisanship. And um, that's like the last thing we want when there's an actual, you know, virus running around. Yeah. But we never want it. It's always, it's always a disaster. So, I mean, that's, and that's American politics. That's politics generally, but it's certainly, I think, in the United States over the last, since the election, certainly, but always, but certainly since the last election, just like absolutely retarded level partisanship on both sides. You know, I mean, it's just that I'm, I tend to be more sympathetic to the pro Trumpers just because they get their asses handed to them and lied about so much. I'm not one of them, but yeah, yeah. they're so yeah. ganged up on. Yeah. And so, and so out and so outnumbered and they don't control any institutions. They don't control a single institution. They control maybe one tenth of the media at best. Probably they control not even memes. They control, right. It's all grassroots stuff, but you know, like, I mean, the vast, most of media, all of academia, most of the government, right. Even huge chunks of the military, like hate that dude's guts. So you know, being pro-Trump means you're going to be despised by those who hold institutional power. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they don't, no one, there's no one on the right, no, certainly no Trumpists who, uh, who control any meaningful institution. Not even, I mean, even Fox News is like split. On yeah. Trump, right. Yeah. Like half the people on Fox News are anti-Trump. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm not pro-Trump. I just, I think he's done some very positive things and I think he's done some very terrible things, but, um, but the stupidity about all of this and the partisanship and the tribalism, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I told you guys last time I was on, but like, it's, did I, did I tell you my sort of father analysis, my father theory of the presidency? Like everybody in America basically wants a father for president and they want a good, that's why it's so important what their demeanor is and how they dress and how they speak and, you know, that they're politically correct and they're polite and they're charismatic and charming that matters way more than, you know, how many kids in Yemen they killed today or how many immigrants they stopped at the border today, which Obama did much, 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 much more of than Trump, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that just shows you exactly what they care about. Uh, there was this amazing thing on Twitter yesterday. Did you guys see this? Former Obama spokesperson. I'd never heard of him before, but he had like many. He had enough followers for me to believe that he was in the Trump uh, Obama administration. Sorry. And he actually... I still can't get over this. He uh, tweeted a picture of Lyndon Baines Johnson. I guess in the, it was, would have been either 1967 or 1968 at, in the Oval Office with his head down. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. 
yeah. distraught, right? And it was he was distraught allegedly because he had just found out that U.S. casualties in Vietnam had reached forty thousand. And the guy says, "This is what we need in a president. We need <laughs> we need someone with what did he say? Uh, compassion or something? This is this is this is what I was like. Okay, so we are now announcing that." Mass murder, and by the way, forty thousand—that was just the U.S. dead by nineteen sixty-eight. It was probably about a million Vietnamese who were killed by Johnson oh, too. So. Way more than that, I'd say. Yeah, we don't know for sure, but I mean, by the end of the war, it was about two million. We don't know, but definitely hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were dead by then. Over some was, bullshit, for the record. Over, over, over some a fucking bl- false flag. Weapons. And by testing. the way, you're talking about the Gulf of Tonkin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and which, by the way, is a one hundred percent unanimous opinion among historians. Like. <laughs> That is not even, I mean, I'm talking about mainstream historians at Harvard and Yale and UC Berkeley all agree with you, Darren. It's a great go-to because it's like, you know what? You don't think false flags exist. Well, how about like the last like eight or nine major conflicts that that the U.S. military has been involved in have all been false flags, like all of them, all of them. If you really look, I mean, you're going to tell me they didn't know Pearl Harbor was happening. You kind of cornered them and waited for it to happen. I think I said this on Twitter not long ago. I didn't. I didn't say false flag because and don't use false flag, dude. They're just you're just going to get thrown in a That's box. That's right. Yeah. What's the right? What's the proper terminology? Lie. Just, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, bold I mean, face lie. That, that's all you need. I mean, every every single war in United States history, every single one started with a lie. Every single one. I mean, the Civil War was like, there was just a sea of lies on both sides. But, you know, the, the most important lies were the ones on the north, in the North, that the slave states were conspiring to take over the country and impose slavery on northern states. By the way, that's, that is the unanimous position, or not unanimous, that's the consensus position among professional historians. This is like totally mainstream among historians to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Spanish-American War. Oh my God, we know about all that, right? Like the Cuban, they were raping all the women and they blew up the U.S. Maine, da da da, da and Babies World and incubators. War. Yeah, and World War One. there's plenty of lies about the Hun, the German Hun and his intentions to take over the world and rape and pillage and kill and Germans were depicted as apes, da da da, da. and World War Two. we you know, I mean, I, do I need to keep going? I mean- It's just a tactic that the military uses, just like other tactics. So it's, not we, the, it's not the military, so hold on there. Like. You got to be really clear. The military and the and the politicians are different beasts. And the military, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, and at least in American history, has been uh, less, much less willing, much much less interested in starting war than presidents and senators and Congress. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Yep. And so you know, um, there's actually been quite a lot of resistance sort of from the ranks in particular, but even in the brass to many, many of the, of the military um, adventures that the politicians have wanted. I thank God, you know, and it makes sense, right? Because who, who gets killed, right? And even if you're a, you know, three-star general, it's your, your men are going to be the ones getting killed. Yeah. So, I mean, there have been, there have certainly been military figures in the U.S. who have been gung-ho war hawks like no one else, but they're, I'd say, a minority, actually, among the generals and admirals. So, yeah. So do you think we're doing, because what do you, so, because I think we're kind of propping that, some lies up right now to get ready to start some shit with China. And I think that everyone's falling for it all, hook, line, and sinker. Like, you mean, everyone's like, you know, even people that I kind of hoped wouldn't be are, 
You know, everyone seems to be on the fuck China train right now. You got you guys have seen Joe Biden's latest commercial? I mean, I got it. Okay, little caveat. I hope Joe Biden becomes president because it'll be the funniest shit ever. I mean, some of the stuff that comes out of this guy's mouth, I just can't believe it. The Trump ad or whatever the fuck it is with yeah. Obama sitting in the, the like the Obama photoshopped head and he's sitting around with the black guys watching the game and the commercial comes on. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biden starts talking about like I it's the funniest shit I've ever seen. I mean, I can't I don't even know what to say. That and that ad cost Trump zero dollars. And it's like probably gonna be the best political ad of the campaign. I mean, the election is gonna be wildly entertaining. No doubt about that. Uh, but did you see the ad that Biden just ran about China? No. No. Oh, everyone immediate this is like I'm telling you, this is life and death, World War III kind of shit. <laughs> everyone, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, and I'm not the only one saying this. Everyone immediately go look at the new Joe Biden ad about China. It's about Trump, but it's really about China. He goes full war hawk on China, basically. He's accusing them of starting the virus deliberately, and you know, Trump, and it's all about how Trump, get this, guys, Joe Biden's argument in this ad is Trump hasn't been tough enough on China. <laughs> Trump. On China, not tough enough. Okay, so that, and and you add, so we're now adding on the Democratic Party side, right? Belligerence. Oh, I, I got the ad here. Should I play it quick? Let me just finish. And okay. Then, 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 then definitely play it. Actually, no, play it now. Yeah, play it now. Then I'll add. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I wasn't as ready as I alluded. <laughs> <laughs> So now Trump and his allies are launching negative attacks against Joe Biden to hide the truth. Here are the facts. Joe Biden warned the nation in January that Trump had left us unprepared for a pandemic. Then Biden told Trump he should insist on having American health experts on the ground in China. I would be on the phone with China and making it clear. We are going to need to be in your country. You have to be open. You have to be clear. We have to know what's going on. But Trump rolled over for the Chinese. He took their word for it. The president tweeted, China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. China, I spoke with President Xi, and they're working very, very hard. And I think it's going to all work out fine. Trump praised the Chinese 15 times in January and February as the coronavirus spread across the world. It's a tough situation. I think they're doing a very good job. Are you concerned about the impact of the global economy? I think that China will do a very good job. Trump never got a CDC team on the ground in China. And the travel ban he brags about? Trump let in 40,000 travelers from China into America after he signed it. Not exactly airtight. Look around. 22 million Americans are out of work. And we have more officially reported cases and deaths than any other country. Donald Trump left this country unprepared and unprotected for the worst public health and economic crisis in our lifetime. And now we're paying the price. All the negative ads in the world can't change the truth. Wow. All I got out of that was China is the problem. And Trump wasn't tough enough on them. Can I mean, my God. Okay, so, so the Democrats now want to fight with China. And for the last, how many years? Five, well, it's been actually some more than that. Russia. At least five or six years, they've also wanted basically war. Many of them want war with China, uh, with Russia. Okay, so the, the two, the second and third biggest superpowers on earth, 
they're they're they got a hard on for. Now, um, that scares the shit out of me. I mean, I was already scared about the Democrats taking power because of Russia, because the leadership of the Democratic Party clearly wants to encircle all of Russia with NATO. They want to move it all the way to the south, too. Um, and now, now they're talking shit about China. Um, that's, you know, everyone needs to remember the Democratic Party pushed the United States into World War I, World War II. They founded the CIA. They pushed the United States into the Korean War. Vietnam War was very much the Democratic Party's war. And with Iraq and Afghanistan, the vast majority of the leadership of the Democratic Party were totally happy to support it, of course, because the neocons, whose little brains it came out of, originally were what? Liberal Democrats or Socialist Democrats. So they, were, they knew that they were basically on the same team, ideologically, culturally, in terms of sensibilities. It was only the far left and the far right uh, that was opposed to that war or those wars. So um, I think we're going to see you know, the return of Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, and Lyndon Baines Johnson. And a lot of progressives and liberals, when they hear that, they're like, hell yeah, yay, we're going to have more welfare. Okay, well, that's probably true because all those guys did push welfare, but they also were responsible for the largest, most ridiculous, insane acts of mass homicide in human history, you know, at least in, at least in American history, certainly in, I'd say, Western Hemisphere history. So, um, you know, World War II, I'm writing a book on this now. I mean, I think that, I think it's clear that U.S. entry into that war probably increased the number of deaths by tens of millions in that war wow. needlessly. Wow. And also, this is another thing I'm arguing, uh, guaranteed the fulfillment of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into that if you want. But I mean, there's no totally. question. There's no question that the United States, by entering the World War II, well, I mean, just the Democratic Party's history of war making is, <laughs> it's, like, it's like this cognitive like blindness that goes on. People just, they hear John Kennedy and they think, oh, he looks great in his sunglasses and Marilyn Monroe and Jackie and, you know, and he loved the poor. No. I mean, he invented the Green Berets. He radically increased the nuclear arsenal. He, uh, the Bay of Pigs, he invaded the Cuba. And he escalated the war in Vietnam. And then Lyndon Baines Johnson, his vice president and his successor, increased the number of troops in, in Vietnam from about 10,000 to 500,000. And dropped bomb more drop. He dropped more bombs on North Vietnam, then all the bombs that were dropped in World War II by all the sides together. So the Democratic Party's liberal, by the way, these are the big liberals in the Democratic Party. These, you know, Johnson, no, there was no more liberal president ever than Lyndon Baines Johnson. We got the Great Society and the War in Poverty out of him. Franklin Roosevelt, right? I mean, also the big liberal hero. Don't even to talk about Japanese internment. We can talk about how he forced, as you guys alluded to earlier, forced the Japanese basically to attack. Pearl Harbor, but by cutting off all their crucial resources, supplies, oil and iron and steel, which was an island country with none of those things. And he pushed, and this again is probably, it's not a consensus, but it's a majority view among historians, not just weirdo Thad Russell people. <laughs> um, you know, these were the big liberals. They were also the big killers, I, you know, and Woodrow Wilson, my goodness gracious, you know, who f- sort of founded progressivism as a mainstream movement, you know, World War I, I mean, pushing the United States into World War I, that ridiculous uh, killing field. So I think we're coming, the good, you know, the good news is 
in a way, in a sick way, like the liberals and the progressives and the Democratic Party are showing their stripes. You know, they're showing, I think, their historical stripes. Their real lineage is war making more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the war-making. perception doesn't seem like that, though. I mean, from the from the counterculture in the 60s and the anti-war protests and all that, that to me, that feels like, you know, the, well, the, the image Democrat is the party. polar opposite because yeah. it's the it's the central banks, from what I understand, <clears throat> that do all these things. The CDC is created for the banks to control that stuff. The CIA is created for the banks to be able to get everywhere that they, they need to be and have the intelligence. And the U.S. just funds all of that. I mean, how about mm. uh, Cecil Rhodes? How much does his whole plan and all the money that he put into all of this? Have you researched him a lot? I mean, Cecil Rhodes is the great European colonialist in terms of as an ideologue. I mean, he's the one who made the argument that it was an act of charity, uplift, beneficence, you know, bringing civilization to the savages of Africa was the argument he made. And that was taken up by all the left and progressive imperialists in this country uh, and elsewhere, too. So, I mean, from Woodrow Wilson to Samantha Power, right? It's, we must intervene militarily in the rest of the world to save and uplift the poor people who live there. Yeah, and China, I mean, from that whole thing, it was all like China has no uh, sovereign rights. Trump has to get in there and force his way in and put his CDC on the ground, which I don't think the CDC is even his. I think it's the bank that wants to be in there with their own people. Isn't the CDC a vaccine company? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, if you're going to have a military might and a medical might, you know, if this is the medical martial law, then you have to have some sort of, and it's a global thing. I think you're, I think you're, uh, I'm stretching, I'm reaching. I I think you're assigning way too much power to the banks. Uh, Mm. You know, I, yes, JP Morgan was very important in World War One. He funded the allies, a lot of the allies before the United States entered the war. He was all gung-ho for the war because of that financial interest. But ideologically, banks have no reason to go to war. In fact, businesses, generally speaking, are opposed to war. Why? Well, they fund both sides. The Rothschilds uh, funded both sides, the English yeah. and the French. Yeah, but water. economic but 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 banks, but businesses generally speaking oppose war. Uh why? Because it, it stops trade. You can't conduct business during a war unless you happen to be an arms manufacturer. Now, arms manufacturers are, of course, the exception here. But the vast majority of businesses suffer during war, uh, and also if they don't if they don't lose their business, they get often get nationalized during war. They're forced to make tanks instead of cars, which is what happened to all the automobile industries here. Um, so I wouldn't. And also, here's the thing about banks: they don't have armies and cops. The government only one only one entity does. It's the government. Yeah, but they own you know? those. Now, what do you mean they own those? They own those. The governments are all corporations, and the banks. The central banks have gotten power of this. I mean, the Rothschilds, that's what, like I was saying, they played both sides and they got control of both of the economic powers. France was totally in debt and they bought the entire stock market of, of London and all, all across Europe. And then they funded the Rockefellers to build all the banks and the JP Morgans and, you know, mm. all these things. Mm. They fund both sides. Prescott Bush was helping and funding the Nazi war effort. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the bankers, they fund both sides of the war. So it doesn't matter who wins. They get all of it. They get everything. And I'm not talking about little your little your little bank. You know, I'm not maybe Wells Fargo, but I'm talking about global central banks. That's what I'm talking about. 
Yeah. Again, um, I see no evidence that any president pulled the trigger on any war because of a bank wanting it to happen. The reason they, uh, the reason I believe um, they've pulled the trigger is for ideological reasons. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. They wanted, they wanted to extend the United States across the world. They were, they were imperialists and they believed in that. I mean, they believed it was a good thing. It wasn't, they were, they didn't think in their own minds, they weren't doing evil. They thought they were doing a good thing by invading Vietnam. I mean, we have a lot of records of the Johnson, Kennedy and Johnson administration and Nixon administration saying, you know what we need to do? We need to make Vietnam into a progressive model. We need, they were all about development. They were all about building dams and bridges and roads and schools so that Vietnam could become a little America. And same was true. Look what happened in Iraq, right? Remember the big voting thing? We're going to bring democracy to Iraq. Same with Afghanistan. Do you, I think I may have told you guys this, but the textbooks now, right now as we speak, that are used in Afghanistan schools were written literally by the United States Army. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Um, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, that goes back, same with every, every war, every military conflict with the United States going all the way back to the C- Civil War. The Civil War was an attempt to make the South into the North to remake the South into the North. That's not even disputed, right? So it's to, to remake their economy into a, a wage labor economy, which is definitely better than slavery, sure. But it was also an attempt to modernize the South in the North's image. Spanish-American War, it was explicit. You know, we need to, we need to make our brown, our brown brothers in the Philippines and in Cuba just like us. So we sent st- school teachers down there by the thousands to teach them our language, our way of life, our way of dressing, even. Uh, it's in these, cause these people believe in it. They're evangelicals. They're secular evangelicals. Wow. They, and now we do it through TV and movies and. Well, well so me, I don't media. Uh, see, I, I differ with you there too, a little bit. I mean, there certainly have been the Rambo movies in the past, but overwhelmingly most, most, thank God, most of our pop culture that we produce here is not, political. It's just kind of fun, you know? And so what turns out is that that becomes very, that has been very, very popular around the world. American popular culture has been super popular from jazz to rock and roll, to blue jeans, to Hollywood movies, to ear piercings, to tattoos, everything. So there's no, pretty much no country in the world where you don't see American popular culture being very popular, in particular among the young. And the great thing about it is that governments hate that shit, right? Because it's all individualistic. It's all about pleasure. It's all about freedom. It's all about having a good time instead of towing the line, saluting the flag, joining the army, being a good disciplined civil uh, citizen and soldier. It's about partying. That's what most American pop culture is. And the good news is that most of the world loves that and hates being bombed. Hmm. So, so don't shit on American popular culture. Um, for the most part, it has served a very liberatory and individualistic purpose. Until last maybe five years or so, or 10 years, it seems to be, that seems to have an undercurrent now of of uh, ideology that's kind of more, more on the collectivist. Social, social justice kind of thing. They're imp- imp- inputting all this, all this uh, identity politics in there, and there's you know changing all the the scripts and adding all this bullshit. Eh, eh. I mean, there's some of that. There's some yeah. of that, but you know, look what I, I don't even know what the top forty songs are right now. But I'll guarantee you, there's very little social social justice talk in there. It's going to be mostly <laughs> about sex and drinking and partying and fun. Yeah, maybe right. music because I don't know about the music. I'm yeah. thinking more TV. Shows I don't know much stuff. about any of it. To be perfect, TV, yeah. TV shows now. TV shows and movies. Yeah, debauchery is the word. Um, Destroying TV shows the and culture. TV shows and movies um, are a little bit more complicated because there's been this, re- in the United States, there's been this incredibly concerted, well-funded effort by the U.S. military 
to literally write the scripts of a lot of movies and TV shows. So we had what's the Jack Ryan? It was a Jack Ryan that that series that basically born the born identities. No, yeah, no, 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 even <laughs> no, the Jack Ryan TV series, which was really popular. The guy from the office, oh, 24, 24. Well, no, no, twenty four too. No, no, it's, no there's this new Jack Kiefer. Ryan. Oh, sorry, we're not good at <laughs> I don't TV. Watch TV so I don't know. <laughs> Jack Ryan is the show that's been on. That's been very popular. It's literally about a CIA agent and how great the CIA is. Yeah. And John Krasinski is his name, the actor. And he's John Krasinski's actually gone around and given interviews in which he's talked about how wonderful the CIA is and how many great things it's done in history. I mean, is that the guy is, from The Office? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And he's like a big liberal too. So like all Hollywood people are, I mean, it's just like, wow, dude. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, there are a lot of movies and TV shows that are super pro-military, pro-intervention, but they're even, I mean, I hate them and they're fairly big, but they're still way outnumbered by the number of movies and TV shows that are just about having a good time. Right. Yeah. That's a good right? point. Yeah. What scares me about this escalation of global control though, is like you mentioned, you touched on it before a little bit about the lack of science, real science. So we've got... You know, all the numbers that started, this all started out with all the numbers from China and the numbers from Italy and the, and the, uh, <clears throat> the, the death rate, which is now being questioned, uh, the models that were completely wrong, even the social distancing thing. There's different studies out there now that say it doesn't even matter if you're six feet apart, like it's all over. So we're being herded based on all this and it's global. I mean, it's not just, this is not just American, Canada and North America. Everybody's shutting down based on what? Like we haven't even had a chance to challenge all this. Who's, who's even had a chance to question this or it's, it's, it's mind blowing. And now now we're already past that. It's now it's all this, the narrative's falling apart and it's too late. We're already ridiculing each other for not wearing masks. I mean, it's, it's, it's really happened. I think fast. We've slipped into this faster than you thought it could happen. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, uh, a couple things, I guess. One is that, you know, as far as I know, all of the numbers from around the world, like I think 100% of the numbers of cases and all the statistics about the cases and deaths, where do they come from? Government sources. Yeah. I believe. I mean, every mm-hmm. single, that's where we get it. It's not private institutions reporting these numbers. Right. Right. I don't right. know. So who, now, well, can we trust the who? We is not like non governmental. <laughs> it's an NGO, the, the, technically. Yeah. Yeah, the who the who is funded by governments, um, and there's a very good chance that a government who no longer (laughs) funds them. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, the U.S. was the largest funder. I think it was like fifty percent of their pot. And if Trump really does pull out on that, then Gates is the next largest funder at like twenty percent or something. And then the other thirty percent is divided across everybody else in the world. Yeah. So the WHO is like pretty notoriously corrupt and there's pretty good evidence that they've been, that individuals who work in the WHO have been bribed by the Chinese government because they were, they've been basically doing the work of the Chinese government since January and what they've been saying on this stuff. And, you know, I'm not, I don't want to bash China, um, even though it's a disgusting, corrupt communist regime, but I'm not interested in like heightening tensions with China at all. But the WHO, a lot of pretty smart people who follow this and are not conspiracy theorists believe that there's something crooked going on there between the WHO and China. Mm -hmm. So I I don't trust the WHO at all. Um, So anyway, yeah, the numbers, you know, you got to take them with a grain of salt, right? And you got to... Now, why would the government, why would any government inflate those numbers? 
and this is kind of going back to this motivation question that I was talking about earlier. And I don't have like the definitive answer because I can't look inside these people's skulls, but I can tell you this, you know, the state, anyone who, the state has an interest in one thing, which is order, right? They want to keep order. You can't be a head of state. You can't even be the mayor of a small town without order among the populace. You can't have wild people wilding out. That's why we have to have rules about drinking and drugs and bars and all the rest of it. Um, that's why states are always puritanical and heads of states are, heads of state are always puritanical too, to some extent. So I think that I think there's this sort of reflexive authoritarianism and a reflexive sort of puritanical puritanism also uh, in this. It's like people see this as an opportunity to get into people's minds that it is virtuous and good to be always prepared to go into a wartime state to become a member of a wartime uh, society, a culture, to enter a wartime psychology, which is what we're in, right? So that's what heads of state love is like, snap your fingers, tell people to do stuff and they do it, right? We do this now, we get people, everybody's shamed into putting on masks and staying inside and social distancing, right? And they sort of doing it automatically as soon as the governor says so. Now, that's great when you want to go to war with China or you want to go to war with Russia or you want to go to war with anywhere. Right. Because you've already got that. You can just say to them, remember that pandemic and we all came together as a country and unified and, 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 and defeated it? Remember that? We can do it now. Which, by the way, is what they're saying about the pandemic. They're saying, we did this during World War II. We all unified as a country and we defeated the Nazis, well, we can, we can unify just the same way now and defeat this pandemic. It's exactly the discourse that I've heard many, many times, especially from liberals. Uh, well, guess what? You know, like, I don't want to live in a society that's a wartime society, and that's what we're living in. Yeah. So I think that's probably why people of that type and heads of state in particular push the numbers and are more pessimistic because they want, it's good for them in general, not they don't want to crash the economy, but it's generally good for them to have the 350 million people who live here always ready to take their orders. Right. Producing constant adrenaline too. Well, I mean, not only that, everyone's just happy to, you know, no one gives a shit what legislation's going through right now. Just oh, yeah. give, give me my money. We need some money. Oh, what, what's attached to that? I don't know. Who cares? Well, you know, but it's all going to be too late. Well, everyone's in shock. They can't try and wrap their head around it. There's too many things all at once. Yeah. The, the National Endowment for the Arts got billions. The National Endowment for Humanities got billions. The P- public broadcasting system got billions in this bill, the stimulus bill, which is supposed to help our ordinary people like me, small business owners and just individuals. Oh, wait, what? Oh, my taxes are now going to fucking... PBS, the national television channel. Yeah, museum needs that money. Well, it's not just that. It's like, okay, so the idea is the government should decide. We're sort of doubling down on this idea that the government should decide what art there is, what books are written, Mm -hmm. what TV shows and films are made. Sounds like communism. Eh, it's not communism. It's um, fascism. It's, yeah. I mean, it's closer to that model, uh, which is... It's like a mixed model. Uh, the fascism was never a complete takeover of the economy. They allowed private ownership, but with heavy government direction over the economy. So the government would decide what was produced, how much was produced, what the wages were, what the prices were. And that, by the way, was the economic model in the United States in the 1930s and 1940s until the end of World War II, and also in Italy and in Germany. Mm. So Now, isn't um, that... And that's kind of... I feel like... 
that's kind of what they're doing right now. I mean, we were talking to Jen Briney, who reads all the she reads all the legislation and she's like, they're nationalizing a bunch of financial companies here. And the ones that they're not, they're doing this weird sort of backroom loan deal. That is, you're going to owe a whack of money. If as soon as they come and say, you know, you got to do this or that or the other, if you don't, they've got this loan hold they're holding over your heads, which is a weird thing. The Canadian government is doing too. They've got all these fucking loans available all of a sudden and everyone just gets the money right away. But, and you don't even have to pay it back. As long as you do what we say. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'll, you know, if I ever get my check, I will definitely cash it. Um, but, but my God, the inflation, I mean, what they're doing to the monetary system, you know, I can't imagine what this could do to the economy long term or even short term. I mean, we already had a whole bunch of bubbles in this economy when the pandemic started. You know, there were clearly a lot of industries that were wildly overinflated. Mm-hmm. By the way, my favorite industry, higher education, uh, is probably the biggest of those bubbles. <laughs> and that sucker is about to pop real fast. We have colleges that are in full panic mode because yeah. they're probably not going to reopen the campuses in the fall. And they were already in trouble. We had colleges closing across this country at a record rate before the pandemic. And now it's going to be huge. I mean, Stanford University, which has an endowment of about 30 billion with a B dollars in it, had to lay off people, had a hiring freeze. I mean, they cut- This is all prior? No, this is because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, well, it's all all the above. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So even, I mean, if Stanford, which is one of the wealthiest institutions in the history of the world has trouble right now, you're going to see a whole bunch of shaking out in the higher education field, which is great for us at Renegade University because we're ready for that because we have, we've been teaching courses online. We've been doing this on our own for a long time without accreditation, without any help from the government, which they all get, by the way. They get accredited by the federal government and they get protected by the federal government. Their monopoly is protected by the federal government through accreditation. Like we can't give college credit because that has to come from government approval. So you have to, and they have all these ridiculous rules that you have to satisfy to get accreditation power as a college, which we can't do because I'm not a billionaire. Yep. But the good news is that a lot of our competitors are going to be dead come fall or soon after, and they deserve it. Uh, they've been sucking on the teat of the government for literally centuries in many cases. That's why, you know, colleges and universities are so old. Did you know of any other industry where the main businesses are 100 or 200 years old? Have you ever heard of a business? There is no such industry like that, right? Yeah. There's not a single industry I can think of other than higher education. All the, all the elite colleges and universities, at least in this country, probably in Canada too, are at least 100 years old. It's the only industry like that. Why? Because they've had incredible regulatory capture by the government. They've been given grants. They've been given land. They've been given accreditation monopoly, all this stuff to prop them up. Well, it's time for payback, suckers. Well, I heard a little bit about the colleges going down uh, last fall, I think. It was, what was the main, what's the main driver of that? There's several. I mean, the biggest one, I most, I think most people agree on this, is the federal loan program, which is just a massive amount of artificial uh, demand created, right? Over yeah. since 1965, that was created um, the year that I was created, by the way. <laughs> uh, so you have, you know, you have kids paying fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars, often much of that leveraged debt, yeah. Yeah. right? And then you go, and now it's been going into things like not so much teaching or physical plant stuff, but like really good gyms and really good cafeterias and really nice dorms and yoga studios and all the rest of it. Um, but they had, they come out of college with an average of twenty or thirty thousand dollars in debt, 
you know, that's just the average. So you have, when you go to elite schools and you, and you leverage that, you come out with 40, 50, 60. And if you go to grad school, get a, you know, try to get a professional degree, good, good luck. I mean, as a lawyer or a doctor, it's a quarter million. Those, those people almost always have six figure debts. Yep. Um, so, um, yeah. And people, enrollments have been declining for several years now, like big time and all, all across the board, except for the very, very elite schools here. Why is and that? It, for these reasons, because it's, because it's a ripoff, you know, and, and the teaching, you guys been to college? <laughs> I went yeah. to trade school for welding. I went to good, a UFO course. In I'm a welder podcaster. Yeah. Good, good. That was a good move, Darren. It was a good fun. move. Everyone else yeah. is at yeah. home. Yeah. I'm still fucking working. Totally. And podcasting and not yeah. social distancing. That's right. <laughs> um, the teaching is terrible. The teaching across the board, not terrible, it's mediocre across the board. Um, in the sciences, they do some good stuff, but you know, it's just, it's it incredibly overpriced. And so people have been choosing, and then the rise of the internet, right? right, right. You can learn so much by not going to college and doing other things now. Totally. So they have tons and tons of competition. Renegade University is just one competitor. They got the whole internet to compete with. They got podcasts to compete with. I mean, how much are people learning from podcasts about history, philosophy, oh, science, everything, everything? Even eight, 10 years ago, I, I was, you when I got a, into podcast, it was already back then. I was like, I can learn whatever I want to for free. You should have a whatever UFO I'm course. interested in. Graham's That's UFO right. course. That's no, no, no. all. It's all true. You know, I can't remember who we had on last week, but we actually looked up the Merriam-Webster definition of fascism, and they just took that whole thing about private and state power completely out. It's oh, of course, gone now. Mm -hmm. It's just fucking baffling. Yep. So people, yeah, people don't know the economic system that is really the foundation of fascism, and I'm talking about in its original form by the original fascists, the Italians who invented the thing. It's called corporatism. And it has been called, it was called corporatism by them. It was, it's been called corporatism by political scientists who've studied this and historians who've studied this. It is, it is the cooperation of business with government, which means that they allow the businesses to remain privately owned. But as I said before, the government has a very heavy hand in making decisions about what the, what the businesses do in terms of production and distribution and quotas too. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not a mixed economy. It's not a command and control economy quite. It's like halfway there, but what it does is, is it, it requires fascism is about people buying in, is about merging their identities with the nation state. Right. And it's not just individual citizens merging their identities with the nation state. It's about businesses, it's about institutions, it's about colleges. It's about, you know, anything, any, any institutions, sports leagues, whatever, that's what fascism is about primarily with you merge your, you, you cease to, you cease to have your own individual identity. You now just have an identity as a Canadian or an American or a German. That's what fascism really, that's the basis of it. And so the corporatist economic model is about that. It's, it's demanding. It's, an, it's, it's forcing people to merge their economic interests with the nation state to always be ready to build tanks and bullets when the heads of state call for it. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the fundamental basis of fascism. It's not killing Jews, which had actually nothing to do with fascism. It's not even racism, which had nothing to do with fascism in its original form. Mm -hmm. The Nazis came along and like tacked that shit onto fascism, but the original fascist thinkers, and again, this is like consensus view. This is not me talking. It had nothing to do with racism or, or anti-Semitism. It was about what was called harmony in fascist terminology, harmony among the classes, meaning that everybody toes the line Everybody in every class 
treats the nation state as the father and the head of the nation state as their daddy too. Sugar That's daddy. fascism. That's fascism. So like the reason, the way that Americans treat their, their presidents as fathers, even either as their the best possible father, like Obama, cause he was so cool or the worst possible father like Trump, because he's so embarrassing. They still treat the presidency as the father figure as th- that's what they look for. So that's a fascist sort of impulse, at least in Americans, it's probably in can- Canadians too. Yeah. Um, and it's in, it's in the, it's, I mean, it's across the world, but that's, that's, we, we love the, the fascism in Canada. I like the corporatism thing because, you know, the fascism didn't really come about until corporations had rights like people after nope. the, nope. Nope. No, it has nothing to do. With, it has nothing to do with corporate. Because then, for me, no, the, well, you, you were saying it's the like a corptocracy. Uh, no, nope. Corporations. No. Corporate. So anyway, <laughs> then the corporations tell the government how to treat the people instead of the people telling the government how to treat the corporations. No, it's the government. Fascism is about the government telling the corporations what to produce and when to produce it and how much to pay their workers. That's what. That's the fascist economic model. What happens when it switches over though, and now like the corporations start running the government? Like it it's seems like that's what's happened. Are what, mean, or the lobbyists are who run the government. Well, that's where we seem to disagree. I don't see it that way. Um, and certainly not under fascist regimes. I mean, you had bankers. What about is it like in the U.S. now? So it's nationalizing everything. Then. Well, 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 that would be the nationalizing everything would be the government doing that, right? Right. So they, the, they nationalize the corporations and tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, that's closer. That's, that's a socialist model, right? So like That's when important. we bought GM from the last collapse, they bought GM. And then at the beginning of this collapse, they said, stop making cars, start making ventilators. So that's fascism. Okay. So that's fascism because they didn't nationalize GM. Nationalizing means the government actually owns it. Well, but they, they bought a lot of it. Hold on. In the GM, but GM was still owned by its shareholders, right? The government didn't, didn't like take the company and, and seize it. That's nationalization. But what they did do was classic fascism, both under Obama and under Trump, by the way which was telling them, you are now going to produce this, this, and this, right? Trump made them to produce ventilators. Mm-hmm. That's actually classic fascism. But it's not nationalizing GM because nationalizing it would mean there'd be no profit at all for anybody well, except the government. In its extreme form. But I thought with the bailout, because GM never paid back the bailout from what I understood. Right. And they took several billion dollars from that. So the U.S. is a large shareholder in GM. So then at the board, they can just say, with our weight, we're going to tell you to do this now. I don't think they got any shit. The shareholders continue to take profit and under nationalization, they do not. There is no board. There is no, they're under, they're they're under shareholders, shareholders. Yeah. So you mentioned that the three countries that were doing that leading into World War II were America, America, Germany and Italy, Germany and Italy. Yep. There's actually a book written by a mainstream prominent German historian, and it's called the three new deals because the new deal was actually the, became like the closest, one of the closest models to the original fascism. So it was United States, Germany, and and Italy all had that, all had that exact same economic model in the 1930s. That's curious because I'm here. I'm curious to see, to hear some thoughts on your book, your new book that's coming up about world war II. Yeah. Before we let it go, because I've been a huge World War II buff all my life, and it's been a rough ride. Because when I was little, I just bought everything hook, line, and sinker with the documentaries and everything. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the last like ten years have been this and that, and some questionable subject matter here and there, trying to figure out 
trying to get to the bottom of what actually fucking happened there. Okay. And lately, <clears throat> I seem to be of the mind that <clears throat> the Nazis were more like an earlier version of American like puppet regime and that the whole plan seemed to be Russia right from the beginning. And I'm wondering what your thought is on that, because it seems like a whole lot of Nazis came over here after the war and America went in and said Europe first and then just drove around the Pacific until it became abundantly clear that the Nazis were going to get their ass kicked by Russia. And then all of a sudden they were in Berlin in like eight months. And um, Okay, so I can just tell you what the majority opinion among historians is right now on certain key parts of that, parts of this story. Um, so number one, vast majority of historians, not all, but the vast majority of historians, and I mean mainstream historians, agree that the intention of Hitler and the Nazi party from the beginning, from its founding in 1919 until its demise in 1945, in terms of land and territory, was getting Poland and getting Western Russia, which they believed belonged historically to the Teutonic race, which was their race. So Hitler's plan was to get that, to seize that land through straight up conquest and colonialism, no doubt about it, to achieve what he called living space, Lebensraum, because he had, they also had this idea that Germans were living in two densely populated <laughs> cities. Like Berlin was too crowded or something was their idea. And then Germans were also a naturally, they believed naturally agrarian people and that it was healthier to live an agrarian life. So they needed all that space, all that land in Poland and Western Russia. Plus, they hated the Slavs, thought they were an inferior race. Now, they, there's also, it's a majority opinion among historians that Hitler and, and the Nazis had no intentions of taking any other land elsewhere in the world at all. Like the only reason they invaded Western Europe at the time they did was to stave off the impending invasion of the Brits and the French who were aided by the United States, who were being supplied arms by the United States had already literally started digging trenches along the German border when the invasion of the West happened, by the way. Hitler never wanted to hold the West, Western Europe at all permanently. He definitely wanted to seize Poland and Western Russia and establish the greater Germany and make it into a world power that way. Um, so that's that. Uh, in fact, he, the Hitler and the top Nazi leadership were opposed. They wanted to get rid of the German. They did get rid of the German colonies and they did not want to be involved in colonialism. Why? Think about it. Colonialism in in the, in, in the mid-20th century meant controlling territory populated by what color of people? Brown and black people, right? What did the Nazis think about brown and black people? <laughs> they wanted to have nothing to do with them. So the colonialism they saw as a way to simply infect the race with these inferior cultures and races. So they were opposed to colonialism too. They wanted to invade Poland and Russia and liquidate the fucking Slavs, enslave them, and then get rid of them for sure. Okay, but that was it. That was the end of their. That was the end of their ambition. That's not a small matter, but that is far, far less than what we are led to believe about Hitler's intentions. He was never interested in world domination. He wasn't even interested in controlling all of Europe. He had no plan, no way, no way at all, of seizing Great Britain. Well, how do we know this? Do you know how many landing crafts the Wehrmacht possessed? When World War II started, zero. No landing craft. You know how many well, they don't have ports. They don't have water access. Well, you know how many troop cargo ships, transport ships they possessed? Zero. They couldn't get any troops onto the land of any other country. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and the British Navy was about 10 times more powerful than the German Navy. They would have shot them out of the water instantly yep. if they had tried this. So the only thing they could do was bomb London at the time. Um, so that's about, so that's what most historians agree was the intentions of the Nazi party and Hitler in terms of territory, conquest, expansion, and all that, right? What about it was Argentina? Just, How did that play what, into it? What about Argentina? Well, it's just that it got, after the war, a lot of Germans went to Argentina. Sure. Did that play into it at all? I mean, no, okay. no, I mean, okay. no, I mean, they, first of all, they just basically killed every, almost, they basically killed all the Nazis. I mean, the allies just killed all of them during the war and then put them on trail and hanged them. The rest who were <laughs> surviving after the war. So the entire Nazi leadership was liquidated after world war two. You had some lower level people flee to Argentina because there already was a German population there. So it was just easier for them to settle there. So no, um, Argentina has nothing to do with it. Oh, okay. Um, so now, as for the Jews, the Jewish question, um, it is now also pretty close to a consensus among historians, and again, mainstream historians, that the policy, the intention of not the Hitler and the Nazis from 1919, the founding of the party, until 1945, sorry, until 1941, was to force the migration of Jews out of Germany by two, two ways, by stripping them of all of their civil rights and all of their property rights, which they did immediately to make it just uncomfortable, impossible, or diff, diff, too difficult for Jews to live in Germany. True. But also by financing international Zionist organizations who were attempting to establish the state of Israel and by financing individual Jews by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, to travel, to move from Germany to what was then called Palestine. And again, there are books written about this by mainstream people. The state of Israel was co-founded by the Nazi party. That's right. And I, weren't they even like saying you're, for a lot of the money they had confiscated, they were like, well, if you go there, it'll be there waiting for you when you get there. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, they were allowed to take their money with them if they went to Palestine. Uh, when Churchill made a deal with the Arabs, um, they, Churchill and the British started bombing the ships that the Germans had actually, the Nazis had actually provided to Jews. They were shipping. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Israelis living there today who are descendants of people who were aided financially and with actual ships by the Nazi party. Mm -hmm. That's just a fact. It's not even disputed. By the way, like, you know, Jewish historians have argued this too. So when, when Hitler, uh, sorry, when Churchill stopped this um, and started bombing those ships and not allowing this, what did the Nazis do? Did they start liquidating Jews and gassing them? No. In 1939 and 1940, no. They started looking for another place in the world to send the Jews. They did not want to kill the Jews. And I can explain why in a second. Madagascar. They found Madagascar and it became known as the Madagascar Project. Adolf Eichmann, very famous Nazi leader, that was his project. They sent, they sent people down to Madagascar. They scoped it out. They said, yes, we're going to send all of our Jews there and then we're going to leave them there. They can have their own colony. And that ended with, of course, the Allies invading and starting World, World War II in, in, in proper, you know, in earnest, 1941. Um, why did the, so the Nazi policy toward, toward Jews was not to kill them until 1941. It was to move them out. In fact, they were against, against murdering Jews from 1919 to the fall of 1941. Why? Because Hitler and the leadership saw that happening in Russia, right? With the pogroms, they saw Russians sort of indiscriminately, whenever they felt like it spontaneously, just like wiping out whole villages full of Jews or shooting a Jew in the back, right? 
It was, and he called that the anti-Semitism of emotion because what did it lead to? It led to the Bolshevik communist fucking revolution, which was largely led by what? Jews. So Hitler saw that kind of reaction to Jews, that violent anarchic reaction as counterproductive. What was, he believed was far superior was what he called the anti-Semitism of reason. And he called for the anti-Semitism of reason, which meant a very orderly, methodical marching of the Jews out of Germany. If you didn't do that, he said, we will then have a backlash, we'll have a rebellion, we'll end up with a communist Germany, just like Russia did. We are superior, we're smarter than those stupid Slavs who didn't know how to deal with their Jewish question. We do because we are Aryans, we're superior, we're rational. So Hitler kept them on all the way. People don't notice this, but there was no significant killing of Jews in Germany until the middle of 1940. No, sorry, the late 1941. The first uh, gas chamber that was used uh, was up with the first Jews who were gassed were gassed the day after the United States declared war on Germany. Wow. Because for two years, solid 1939, 1949 and into 1941, Hitler on a regular basis gave speeches from the Reichstag in which he said, we have these Jews. You got all you Westerners, you Americans and British, you say you love the Jews and you're humanitarians and you want to save them. And you think we're terrible for how we're treating them. We'll give them to you. We will put them on our ships and send them to you. We will send them to New York. We will send them to London. We want to get rid of these people. Will you take them? And guess what? Every single country on earth led by the United States refused to take any Jewish refugees for the entire period. From the rise of Hitler in 1933 until 1945, basically no Jews except for a handful of scientists who were useful in the nuclear project were allowed into this country and into the United States. Same was true for Britain and France and the rest of them. They said, no, we're not going to take your Jews. So they, tr they effectively trapped the Jews inside of Germany with a madman who hated them. And then Hitler also said in all of his speeches, and these were called the prophecy speeches, he said, we're going to hold on to these people. We're not going to do anything to them unless you try to stop us from getting what is rightfully ours, which was Poland, Western Russia, and, and all the land that was stolen from Germany in world, after World War I with the Versailles Treaty which was a totally legitimate grievance, by the way. Hitler wanted to retake that land as well, which was along the Rhine, which was partly in Poland, which is now what is now called Czechoslovakia. He said, we, we, are, we are owed that land, and if the Allies attempt to stop us, then we will kill the Jews. So he basically was holding them as hostage. And what did Hitler, what did Roosevelt and Churchill say to that? Fuck you, we're going to invade anyway. Wow. And so when, he, when they invaded, that's exactly when, when the United States entered the war is when the Holocaust began. Wow. Yes. There you have it. I mean, the Russians were good at killing Jews too, and all sorts of people. Yeah, very good. Because yeah. I thought something came out, there was a whole bunch of Polish officers or something, like 25,000 of them or something that the, the Russians just took the credit for quietly a couple of years back. Oh, yeah. Finally admitted to one of those massacres. I think yeah. it was more like a hundred thousand, but I don't know. I remember what you're talking about, but not the specifics. So is that Od operation paperclip when they were sending them all out? Like you said, across all the, 
when all the uh, countries were taking the high level Jews, but no oper- one else. Yeah, Operation Operation Paperclip was about getting scientists, not just Jewish scientists, but uh, scientists from from the Third Reich to work on the nu- mostly the nuclear program, um, and military military issues, you know, uh, military projects. So Einstein, Albert Einstein, was one of them. Really? And, oh yeah. yeah. So he was one of the he was one of the very very few Jews allowed into the United States during this period. Very few Jews were, unless they were. They were only allowed in if they were useful for scientific, usually military purposes. So it's probably easier to get into the country if you're a Nazi in those days. So why did they say no then? Churchill and Roosevelt and what was it? Because they wanted war? Because Hitler had closed off the economy. He had, he had stopped imports, right? He wanted a pure nation, which meant, you know, imports brought in all these foreign influence. He hated jazz. He hated pop culture. Like we were talking about before, right? Which was flooding in. I mean, you went to Berlin. It was like, the gayest, blackest, most jazz-loving, most dancing-happy city in the in the world. Hitler hated that shit, so he wanted to cut off all the imports that were bringing in all these degrading influences from the West. Uh, but he cut off everything, and it was called autarky, autarky, which is a self-sufficient economy. And at that point, the United States was the rising superpower. The Great Britain was the declining superpower. But what they depended on for power, for control, was trade, right? Because any in any trade deal, the dominant party is going to win which is what the United States understood. So they couldn't have this country right in the middle of Europe with all of its industrial power and wealth closing itself off to trade because the United States wanted to do business there and through trade and and commerce, it could control it. They wanted a global America. And that's why they also went to war with Japan because Japan had also been closing off its economy as much as it could. And they didn't want that because Japan was in the middle of the Pacific, basically, and had a controlling position geographically in the Pacific Ocean, right near that big trading zone in Southeast Asia, right where all the ships go from, where they go from Pacific to the Indian Ocean, right around there. Japan basically, you know, had controlled that that those shipping lanes, and they were going to control it for their own purposes and close it off to the economy, close it off most importantly to the Western powers. And so they did not want that. They didn't want closed economies out of their control. So is that, is that what, is that, so now China's trying to do this one belt, one road shit. We can't be liking that too much. Cause I mean, you just went through all this world war two shit and now we got all this going on in the world. So how much, where are we compared to a hundred years ago spiraling into world war two? Um, I mean, you know, I don't know. I'm not a sinologist. I'm not an expert on Chinese politics, but I do know the Belt and Road. Well, I don't know what the Belt and Road Initiative is ultimately about. I mean, there's a debate about it. I mean, it, it's a little scary to me. The Belt and Road Initiative is this massive project funded by the Chinese government that is extending like transportation and communication networks all the way from China to Africa and all the way to Italy and Europe, in fact. Yeah. So you have roads and bridges and, and ports being built by the Chinese government all over that huge landmass, basically connecting it and unifying it, integrating it. Um, so far, it's just been used for economic purposes, right? For trade. Um, and if it's just that, I, I think it's probably a good thing, right? In fact, I'm sure it's a good thing overall. Um, but do they want it for tanks eventually? Do they want to roll tanks on that instead of cargo trucks? We don't know. I mean, I don't see any intention. I don't see... In Chinese history, they've not been an imperialist. The Communist Party of China has not been an imperial. Thank God, not not been an imperialist party. Um, they've shown very little interest in extending their power globally, politically, and militarily. I mean, that could change. I don't know, but I've seen no evidence of it. Uh, I keeping my eye, eye on it. We shouldn't be like you know um, too sanguine about what they're what they're up to. But 
you know, if they're interested in uh, just doing more trade, more commerce with countries outside of China, which they've, you know, they've been the kings of, let them. It's great. My God. I mean, Chinese commerce has made life so much better for all of us. So much better. What about, uh, what about in the other direction though? What do, what do we think about that? Right. So that's the problem. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. That's what scares me more. Uh, definitely scares me more. Uh, so Trump during the campaign, you know, I liked a lot of the stuff he was saying about foreign policy, like a lot of anti-war people were, cause he was like the only president, serious presidential candidate ever, <laughs> ever to call into question, not just this or that war, not just this or that military intervention, but the whole project of the American empire, right? Nation building, right? Uh, optional wars, all that stuff. Uh, extending democracy, blah, blah, blah. International development, you know, under our control. He called all that into question. But the thing where he was actually, the place where he was actually worse in some ways than the classic progressive imperialists was on China. And he had a couple of knucklehead political scientists he found at some third-rate college to write his position papers on China and to write a couple articles. I think one was in foreign affairs or foreign policy, actually, which you can look up. It's like the only two political scientists who were pro-Trump. And it was basically a call to war against China. It called for a massive buildup of the Navy in the Pacific. It called for moving the fleet forward in the Pacific, closer to China. And it said that China was an imminent threat and that needed to be dealt with militarily. And that's certainly what Trump was sounding like. He was very belligerent against China when he was, since he's been elected. And this is kind of what Joe Biden was talking about in that commercial. You know, he's actually been much, much more dovish on China and much more amenable to them, which has been great. The Democrats, on the other hand, you know, they've been seeming to want to, as we mentioned before, they've been wanting to go to war with the two biggest superpowers besides the United States, seems like for a long, long time, maybe ever all, you know, so, um, but yeah, why, I mean, but sorry to interrupt, but why yeah. that always seems, seems like a strange thing because to go to war with those two countries, I mean, you those, even the elite are risking losing their shit, aren't they? Because if the whole fucking house of cards topples over, then none of that shit means anything anymore. And a band of people coming up your driveway is a band of people coming up your driveway. Um, or well, do, do you think the elite, the, like, yeah, I don't know. For me, from my position, it just seems like a fucking bad idea. What did Hillary Clinton say about what the United States could do to Iran? Yeah, and Russia. Yeah, but I just, I just don't get it. So they believe with quite a bit of justification that the United States would not only win any such war, but wipe out the adversary. I mean, go online. You can look, you can see, like you can compare the Chinese military and the Russian military to the US military. They're not even in the same league yet. I mean, it's something like on the order of like 10 to one, 20 to one in every category. Yeah. But who knows what they have under their sleeve uh, biologically so or is it, chemically, or I mean, you know, Oh, but we could, but we could blow them up entirely in five minutes. Like we could, we could destroy all of China and all of Russia by the end of today. Like in the entire, we could kill every person. And they just want to do that. Do you think that's what they just take care of it? You guys know that one single U S nuclear submarine can destroy all of China. Like yeah, it has, it has enough firepower in it to destroy the entire Chinese population and every building in it. Probably the nukes so. on those one single nuclear sub. Yep. Yeah. So, so then what's the point of all this then? Isn't it all just charades? And we have, I think 11 of them. Or do no. those have like, where's <laughs> China and Russia on that scale of shit then? Yeah. They don't have that yet. 
I mean, they have some of it, but it's like one tenth. So, so then it's like maybe a knock them down before they can start to get here type thing. I don't, you know, the nuclear strategy school. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's the whole thing is just like bizarre and terrifying to me, but I think that's what they're banking on that they will win and they probably will. Um, they will inflict so much damage from the air, from the sea. They won't even have to send in troops because the U S air force and Navy can wipe out the whole goddamn world without sending in a single soldier. And they can, you know, they, or they just wipe out a city selectively and say, you know, like with world war II, right? What did the United States do then? Tokyo. Oh, we're going to first, that's for thank you. They actually wiped out Tokyo before they even got to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They did it with firebombing, which was napalm, by the way. They dropped napalm on Tokyo. They dropped napalm on every, every Japanese city every day for months and months and months and months and months. And they burned that city entirely to the ground. And they did that to almost every other Japanese city except for Kyoto. And then they were like, well, you're still not listening. We're just going to completely annihilate two of your cities. And now you're going to have to give up. So they could do that. You know, they could like bomb St. Petersburg or Moscow or some other city, smaller city in Russia. They could bomb God knows what many of the, you know, giant cities, one of the, one of the giant cities in China and say, look, this is the deal guys. And do you think China would come to the table? Do you think Russia would come to the table? Yeah, <laughs> I would. So then the dance must be with the American public. It always is. It's a matter of convincing you guys that it's a good idea. And here's the bad news there. You guys always fall for it. Americans are as ignorant and stupid about foreign foreign affairs as, as my fucking shoe. I mean, like Americans don't know a goddamn thing about anything outside this country. They barely know what goes on inside this country politically. And Americans are, Americans are very smart, very, very smart people in a lot of ways. And I love sort of American culture in a lot of ways. And, in the particular kind of intelligence that Americans uh, deploy and show is fantastic, but not on this stuff, not on politics and not on foreign affairs. I mean, we are just horrifically ignorant and stupid. And so that's why Americans get, you know, they go along with all these crazy schemes and adventures that end up killing sometimes tens of millions of people. Well, who is that Uh, CIA? Sorry. That no, CIA director that had a quote that said, we'll know we, we will have won when everything the American public knows is a lie. And that's pretty know. much where we are now. It's like. That was Bernays, pick, wasn't it? Pick one of them. No, no I think Dulles, it was a CIA no. director that was quoting Bernays in that. But mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- so is that are- getting better or worse? Are people, because we got this whole thing where everyone's fucking hyper interested in politics again, which is why I think Trump's here. I mean, that's the, my Trump thing is that the American people, I mean, people loved Obama fine. He was a little too blah though. People were just kind of not tribal enough. So we needed a Trump to really rile things up. And, and, you know, he could make it, he seems like the one guy that might be able to convince the whole country that it's a good idea to start a war with China or like if, you know, like have the media kind of drag the one side into it and his base is going to follow him anywhere at this point. So, and then we got the QAnon thing going on. That's keeping a bunch of other critical thinkers on the shelf. I don't know. The whole thing seems weird to me. So until a month ago, the leading cable news network and the leading newspaper in the United States, CNN and the New York times, and the Washington Post, and MSNBC, we're saying every single day, for how many years now? (laughs) Every single day, all day long, by the way, not just here and there, but every single day, all day long, that Russia had committed an act of war 
against the United States. That's the kind of language they were using. So that's, um, that's why I was quite upset <laughs> with those outlets and quite upset with anybody who watched them and listened to them and read them and, and took it seriously. Um, um, Americans by the droves fell for that, right? Not all of them, thank God, but probably a majority of Americans believe that Russia really did rig the election, really did essentially invade our country through cyber attacks, uh, really did, you know, that would be an act of war, right? Um, Rob Reiner, meathead, you know? Oh. I mean, that's what he got on CNN many times, and he was yelling about how Russia committed war, an act of war against us. But that was the language of CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, the entire liberal establishment. And you had, like, professors at the Ivy League schools saying the same thing over and over again. Now, isn't that the And now they're going to start doing the same thing with China. Of a conspiracy theory? Didn't they have one hell of a conspiracy theory going? That yeah. Russia had colluded with Trump? Canadian, totally. Canadians bought into it, too. I mean, Dude, we're and just, has we're, that not been debunked now? Pelosi was just on... I was watching a thing like today where Pelosi is saying, I don't know what Vladimir Putin has on Trump, but, you know, it's got to be a wow. doozy. And it's just wow. like... Scott Adams was like, anyone who's still saying this should not be in any form of public office. Well, then you scratch your head about Bill Gates just being involved in all of this. I didn't even and know Bill Gates owned fucking MSNBC. I this I just found this out like an hour ago. Well, he does. He doesn't anymore. Well, Microsoft he, yeah. owns half of it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Pelosi should just stick with her twenty four thousand dollar fridge and her thirteen dollar buckets. But of if you show that Gates was off. maybe not, he didn't do this. Maybe he didn't do the do any of this. Maybe this is a coincidence, you know, but he's been putting a lot into this for quite a while and he stands to make a lot with all of his shares in vaccines manufacturing. So, and then people say, no, that's totally conspiracy theorist, but Russia and Trump is not a conspiracy. It's, It's all backwards, dude. It's crazy. I mean, what do you think about this global vaccination push? I mean, really, that seems to be like it's coming out of his mouth. They want to vaccinate people. You're talking about Bill Gates now? Yeah. Well, not, yeah. I mean, it's not just Bill Gates' general, mouth. Bizarre. I mean, I've heard the va- global, there was the vaccination things coming out of everybody's fucking mouth right now. Bill yeah. Gates, I don't think, has any intention of controlling the world. I mean, I think he has a savior's complex, right? He wants to save Messiah. People. Want, you yeah. think so, really? Yeah, of course. He wants to be known not as the guy who, like, basically invented the personal computer, but, like, who saved people. And... If you look at the history of big, the biggest capitalists, Carnegie, Rockefeller, Harriman, those guys, the robber barons, they had the same thing. They gave away tons of their money to schools, libraries, museums, operas, all of it, so that they could have that kind of, they could save the people, uplift them. It's sort of an imperial. You don't think idea. that's for an illusion? I mean, I, I'm starting to think that's just... An illusion. They prop it up on the front and say, this is what we're doing. But in the back end, they're injuring a whole whack of people in Africa. Well, his dad was a eugenicist and started Planned Parenthood. Rockefeller had the whole campaign where he started giving out dimes because he was getting too much bad press. (laughs) They had the whole dime campaign. I mean, smart thinking. That is. I need a publicist. Or is that, that wouldn't be a publicist. I guess that'd be a PR person. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) PR person, you probably get them cheap right now. So you got to watch out for the saviors, uh, whether they are big businessmen or government leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, people with savior complexes get a lot of people killed. 
And they now, the usually have a bunch of money to get him killed with. So if Trump is our yeah. dad, who is Gates then? Is he like our uncle? Creepy uncle. <laughs> but that's but that's Joe Biden, isn't it? God. Joe Biden's your new stepdad, bro. Is he a cousin? Is he Gates he's is the, the Antichrist? He's he's the oh, cousin wow. we don't he's the cousin we don't like to talk about. He's the cousin with problems. It's embarrassing to that the family. That sends us a big check every Christmas and you never hear from him other than that. Yeah, poor Joe. I don't think he's going to survive the campaign. I mean, I'm I'm worried about that yeah. too. I mean, He'll I really get to the feel end like of he's January a, of next year. I'm going to be bumped. Yeah, I feel like he's a placeholder. I really do. Whoever he yeah. picks is. Well, VP. Hillary's going to swoop in. Hillary's going to swoop in and take nah, over. You don't think? Bit. Yeah, she's going to yeah. be two thirds cyborg yeah. and win. They yeah. aren't bringing Hillary. Back. Yes, they will. They, they can't. She's, she's trying. No. She's, yep, she's going to do. Well, wait, here's the deal with Biden. So he his pers his personage doesn't matter. If he wins, which he won't, but if if he wins, it's just going to be the the Clinton, Obama regime taking over. It's going to be all their people running the actual show, yeah. right? I mean, taking uh, it back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they've been running it for thirty years. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that's what if a, a Biden presidency is just going to be a continuation of the Obama Clinton presidency. Well, he'll be smelling people and, and, and by the way, oh, by the way, stuff. And also a continuation, this is very important to the Bush presidency, because as you know, Bush, 100%. Clinton, and Obama agreed on a whole lot of stuff. Especially Pretty much everything, policy. yeah. So it sounds yeah. like you kind of think Trump is really an outsider, that he really is the way it yeah. seems. Because to me, it seems like that. But a lot of people just think that these... It really seems like it, I agree. Yeah. It's just hard well, to believe that he could really still be alive if he was an outsider. The, the one thing where he's not an outsider, which I really don't like about him, is his love for the military. Yeah. yeah. So he is definitely... That'll he keep loves, you alive on its own. <laughs> he, he loves he loves Marine Corps generals. Well, right? didn't he go to West Point? Did I who Tr Trump? Or he had no. something to do with it? He, didn't he go to military school though? No, I don't think so. Did he? I think I he did. Know. No, I think he went to military school. So he, that's why he has an of an affiliation with the military. Eh, I think he's just like a lot of people, like our dads, right? They just kind of think of the military as like the, the hardest, strongest, smartest people. You know, my dad was kind of like that, even though he was kind of, he was like anti-war, but he kind of like really respected the military. You know, there's this respect for the man in yeah. uniform and especially yeah. the big generals that we have. Right. It's like, actually, most of them are kind of dumb shits. You know, most, most of them are kind of mediocrities. That's why they're not, you know, on wall street, making a lot of money. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a lot easier to be in the army and do well there than to do well in the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think after we're losing rights here, left, right, and center, all of Europe's in protests that you never hear about on the mainstream media. America is, I just found out about, you guys are out there protesting already. We're all over the place. We're yeah. not, we're not there yet because we really haven't felt like our freedoms have been taken away that much, but it might happen soon do enough. Canadians protest, but well, no, not really. No, I wear I mean, my, I wear my pro mask around. But That's what's your, protest. what's your advice to people? I, I, watching all our freedoms vanish away and under this, global control really what it seems like to me what, what do you think i mean um it's the same as always it's be skeptical of everything yeah <laughs> that's good be skeptical of everything good and advice. especially especially be skeptical of authority um about everything and that doesn't mean rejecting everything that authority says but being skeptical about every single thing and not taking anything they say for granted that's Help, helps that's keep it. them honest for sure yep yeah. Um, you know, but that's not unfortunately what most people do when the governor says jump, we jump. I kind of wanted to get at your other take on your take on, uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit the last time we had you on, but 
but advice for people that want to sort of fly under the radar a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit of agorism or not really following, not really following the the system, you know, how how you can live a little bit outside that one foot in, one foot out, maybe. Yeah, the black market's going to take off. Yeah, that's kind of... I think it already had, probably already has, but it's certainly going to take off as long as this quarantine continues. How? I mean, there's lots of ways. I think, you know, I'm sure there's going to be black market barbers operating. Probably already are black market barbers and hairstylists and nail salons and all that. You know, I think businesses are just going to do, you know, backdoor business now. And (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Leave uh, your phone in the car. You can come in, yeah. but leave your phone in the car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, I don't see any, under, I don't understand why businesses are not allowed to be open now because the ones that have been allowed to stay open, like the grocery stores, I don't know about you guys, but here, like, they do a really good job of maintaining social distancing, of regulating us when we're in the store. I mean, it's, it's creepy. When, I, when you go to, well, yes and no. I mean, if you go to Trader Joe's or Safeway here, it's, uh, which are like the two, two of the biggest chains or Whole Foods, whatever. They have like, you know, markers on the floors and everybody's obeying, you know, the social distancing is pretty, pretty tight there and they do it on their own. You know, it's not the government forcing them to do this. And so I think if a business can demonstrate that it can do that, let them be open. And if they can't demonstrate, look, who's going to go to a grocery store that allows like big crowds (laughs) around food, right? I mean, the market will take care of that real fast. So I see no reason for the government to stop these businesses from operating. You think we're going back to more free markets where there's going to be less regulation on it? No, the opposite. I yeah. think that's the problem with the pandemic and the quarantine is it's like getting made these it's new precedents, you know, for government control right. over totally. everything. Right. Surveillance and control and regulation. Yeah. Global controls will have to be imposed. I was just trying to be hopeful for a minute. Do you yeah. think you'll repatriate some of the some of this consumerism back to our local, you know, local like it should be? I mean, I really feel like this could be a lesson for people too to yeah. Look at look at building our, ourselves a little bit. Doing yeah, things no, it's, not, it's not all of, it's not all bad. So there was, you know, there was also an, besides the coronavirus, there was an outbreak of mutual aid and has been great old anarchist concept and practice. So, like in Long Beach, California, this woman uh, saw like a shortage of supplies and saw old people stuck at home, not able to go to grocery stores, and so she organizes network. I think it was on Facebook or something. Totally ordinary people, non government people, entirely grassroots got thousands of people to sign up to volunteer to distribute stuff and to be part of this network where you know it's giving and taking both um and you see that i think in every city there's been mutual aid networks of various kinds people helping each other on a small scale large scale family members neighbors you know i mean i've helped lots of people you know in various ways just in small ways but i've seen that all the time um it's it's constant so i think that the ethic of mutual aid the the um and the, the practical value of it, of mutual aid, is tremendous. And that has been demonstrated to Americans, at least, maybe for the first time ever. You know, well, I don't know if we've ever seen this before. But I kind of wonder, though, because a lot of communities had begun regulating if you could help people. So, like, some places made it to where you couldn't give a bum food because now it's against health regulations and stuff right. like that. No right. offense against people who, whatever, when I say bum, I don't mean to be offensive. but Too late. Yeah. A person experiencing homelessness. There. Thank you. I'm I'm just not that good at it still. I'm offended. So that's what I'm, I'm kind of wondering if some things like that are being relaxed only for a moment or if it will become, you know, they've worked towards making it to where charity goes away, you know? 
Yeah, no, you might be right. I mean, that's been the trend over a hundred years now where charity used to do almost all this stuff that the social welfare state does now. And it got pushed out by, at least in this country, by federal, federal and state programs in the 1930s and 1940s. You had mutual aid societies that provided health insurance, life insurance, housing, you know, loans for all kinds to people, business loans. And then the federal government just came in with a new deal and just said, whoop, wiped it all out, crowded it out. So yeah, I think you're right. That could absolutely happen. This this great um, efflorescence of mutual aid that we've been seeing could be squashed by more government regulation and and the government doing things like writing big stimulus bills that give people money and provide them with new services. So we're now more dependent on the government rather than, than on each other. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. That's how they get you on the government teat. Totally. Right on, Thad. Thanks for coming back to the show. We appreciate it. Where can our listeners track you down? Yeah, plug your university there. Yeah, so everyone should check out Renegade University. It's our alternative higher education platform. We've been in operation for three years now. We have a slate of new courses. It's been great. We have RU Live, by the way, is twice a week where uh, if you're a member of RU, you can talk to... I bring on leading experts in many fields from academia, media... And you can talk to them directly if you're a member and you can talk to our instructors directly via Zoom. And then we have video courses on all sorts of topics from sex work to how to shoot a gun to the history of World War II to philosophy, all of it. And go to renegadeuniversity.com, become a member. That's Excellent. awesome. Yeah, Thank I'm you. totally going to check it in. Yeah, you let us know when your book out. comes out. We're definitely we'll a book we're interested in, and we'll. Uh, maybe if you need we'll a UFO teacher, to... we got a no, great no, no, guy no, no, here. I'm not into that anymore. <laughs> no, no. no. It was my college class from the mid nineties. I mean, that was teaching experience. (laughs) I think Graham would be a really good teacher, honestly, to have a program. You should, you guys should get together. No, (laughs) sounds good. I can, I can do a how to shoot a gun video. (laughs) There you go. Right on that. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was a chat with the mighty Thaddeus Russell. What'd y'all think? Yeah, it was, it was great. great that he agreed with me on one thing just before it ended. Oh, I love the disagreements. It's fantastic. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love it when people, you know, I have all these crazy and he says, things that no, I've heard. And he, right away, like, no, he's, this is because, why he, you're because it's a true it conversation. He's not just right. agreeing with you for the sake of agreeing with you. He's actually saying, no, you're wrong there. Yeah. Or, or I think you're wrong there. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then you're like, yeah, actually, you're right. And you were wrong. Some, <laughs> some things yeah. I think he was actually wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah. I mean, Sad doesn't go quite as deep as we no, do on a lot it. of things, totally but he like goes kind of deep, which is good because he's gonna... a guy from academia that's got kind of one foot yeah. in each. It's almost yeah. harder sitting in with you guys because now I want to have like 10 hour conversations with these people. I know because I wanted to ask him about the esoteric or supernatural influences from Hitler. I wanted to get into some of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's so many and, things. I mean, do you think that, you know, was there that there? was? Because he likes to say, hey, this is the way most of the historians view. That's what I like. And what's interesting is that that's not our perception. No, he says, so this again, is the narrative. Academia has one thing to say, but the perception is completely different. And that's yeah. about our mm-hmm. ancient history. Like that's why and Bruce so, Fenton and some of these guys, come on, they say, the evidence shows this and they all agree in their own little way, but the perception of that is not, you know, we came out of Africa, not into Africa. Or, yeah. Well, you know, I actually meant to bring this up a couple shows ago. I can't remember who, <laughs> But that, this is a problem with this fucking expert shit. I mean, it seems like a real good idea to have experts running the planet. Really? And No, I'm just oh, saying. Okay, okay. Until you realize that they don't know fuck all about anything else. Anything else. And especially, and I mean, that's on like our level. When you get to the level of like the experts that could be world experts on things, they're like fucking clueless on everything else. And that's why they say like it's they a good put, idea. You mean like they put ads out about Maria? No, I don't even mean that. I mean more like... 
a health doctor expert. And this is, so I'll just do something without any nefarious things involved. A health expert would think it's a great idea to lock everybody in their house during a pandemic. But there could be economists and people that study what the the, de- the deaths of despair, the deaths of despair, psychologists. There could be supply chain people. There's a whole bunch of different experts that need to be involved in that conversation that aren't. So this is a problem, and they're not talking to each other. So this is a problem with this fucking. It's almost like a weird sort of technocratic, and it, it's, it's sort well, of even, technocratic in a sense, so, very yeah. much. Well, even though the even the data and the studies like that, but then it's compounded. Like the models are completely off, and it's forcing everybody to behave in a certain way. And then we realize the model's off, but you can't adjust. You can't post adjust all that. Stuff. And then you bring a bunch of money into it by people that you know. You've got all these billionaires that are as susceptible to misinformation and tribalism and stuff like that as we are. So, I mean, if I had a billion dollars, I know where I'd be giving all my money to, and maybe that's the right thing. Maybe it's not. That's just on my sort of opinions. That's sort of the scary thing about these guys having all that money. It's sort of this weird sort of form of control that allows your personal ideology to be spread throughout everything without even ever being elected to any office. That's what I was talking about with Soros. I mean, $18 billion go a long way to forcing your ideology on the world. I mean, we've never had that level of influence before. And you know, someone should just give us a billion and see what we can do with it. We can fight back. Gates has a hundred billion. I just need one. A hundred thousand million. I thought he had a hundred and forty billion. No, I don't know. He lost. Or he no, lost. that's well, Bezos. It's been stuck he at used to be with the crash. He lost actually. like twenty-five billion. Bezos has oh, hundred and forty so. billion. I'm just kidding. I don't think so. He I bet out. he made forty billion. All the CEOs and him got out at the right time. Anyway, that was good. You know what? I disagree with him on the Bill Gates savior thing. In a way, I think Bill Gates is way more nefarious than that now. But. Oh, he's a motherfucker. And a huge thanks, to th- huge, blah, 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 blah. huge thanks to Thaddeus for coming on the show, sort of straighten us out for a little while here. It was a great conversation. Uh, he's always fun to chat to. Good chat, great chat. Big thanks to Michael for coming on and helping us out. Thanks for having me. Big thanks to Graham for bringing back the short shorts. We missed them. I can almost see your balls. Maybe that's just how they ride up when you're Those sitting. Those are my calves. Are they? <laughs> how come you stare at his crotch? I can't help it. It's hypnotic. Uh, big thanks to the listeners. Couldn't do the show without the listeners. We love you guys most of all, um, especially when you're a supporter. We love the support. When we love, we love all people equally. We just love the supporters a little more equally. America.ca slash support. Little little animal farm reference there for some of you guys to read a little Orwell. America.ca slash support, though, guys. We can't do the show without you. We won't do the show without you. When the support dries up, the show dries up. So keep lubing the system with your support dollars over at America.ca slash support. We got Stripe, we got PayPal, we got Patreon. You can then cash in a book. You can do an email money transfer if you're in Canada. There's a billion, no, no, there's not a billion ways, but there's probably six or seven ways to support the show. Check them out. If you're having trouble finding a way, shoot me an email. We'll figure something out. All other emails go to Graham, AcroAmerica.com. I think we use more emails, more synchronicities, trip reports. Just email them some shit and we'll read it on the show. It'll be great. What do you got? Nothing? Just review the show, write oh, a comment. Oh, review the show. Yeah, we heard today comment. that five-star reviews. With a comment. You with a comment. To, yeah, I think you can't just go in and. No, you got to take the time to write the comment, and that just boosts us up a little in the algorithm. I think we're closing in on 1,000. All right, wow. On 1,000 uh, ratings no. throughout all really? countries. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, you can just cut and paste your favorite article or something into there. As yeah, you could do too. anything. Yeah, you can post anything. Your post funny UFO stuff. Quote of the week. Or, yep. yeah. yeah. Graham's Cavs. Big shout out to Graham's Cavs. They're pretty ripped. How come uh, you don't do the jingles anymore? I do the jingles in the intros. Oh, I don't right. do jingles. You're on, you're not here for the intros. That's right. Yeah. That's it. You're just half acid. We gotta so. stick around now. We're gonna do one. So. Oh, sweet. Yeah. We're gonna we do get intro. to hear the jingles. Anyway, big thanks to all y'all. We love you. Support the show. Gramerica.ca slash support. There's a bunch of ways in the show notes to support the show that don't cost any money. You get that black budget feed. It's full of audio books and all sorts of other great stuff. There's 50 or 60 hours in there. I think this is show 417 or 18 or something like that. All free. Gramerica.ca slash support. Other than that, just be nice to each other. Be kind to each other. I think this fucking quarantine COVID bullshit's getting to everyone. So don't add to the stress. Just smile at people. Even if they can't see you through your mask, they know you're smiling. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. I'm walking gingerly through the rat race. Take a look at the big old smile on my face. Kicking around down by the pool of narcissists. The people are many, they preen themselves, oh how they navel gaze. Somewhere over that hill, the gloomy skies cease to exist. I'm climbing that hill, I pass by and pity the poor Sisyphus. I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light. I'm strolling down a static electric avenue. The people are predictable, they say, good morning, how do you do? When out of nowhere, a randomly pure angel in the crosswalk bumps into me. And in doing so, knocks all the evil and all the wind out of me. And it's black as tar, ugly as ever, and of no apology. This angelic mama sings heavenly of the truest theology. Together we're a seraphim dream Forever young with no chronology a Thousand years from now We'll be written into ancient mythology We go into hyperdrive Turn into a beam of light Can you tell me about the view up there? It's sparkling remarkably The air is crystal clear Please won't you tell me what it takes to transcend this place A little bit of heart and a whole lot of soul Take a look at the big old smile on my face As my angel says dance with me and your life will never ever ever be told I go into hyperdrive, turn into a beam of light 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 Turn into a beam of light